0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: The Bears beat the Packers to claim the North before moving on to face a 49ers team that isn't as bad as they look. Plus, I get you the latest on NFL Week 15 action. It's all coming at you on Bear With Me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bear With Me, a Windy City Gridiron podcast all about your Chicago Bears. We review the game that just happened, preview the game that will happen, and take a look around the rest of the NFL to see what affects the Bears and what's just cool to note. I'm your host, Robert Schmitz, and let's go ahead and get into it, because the Bears just won the NFC North! Woo! Worst to first, baby! Pardon me. I'm a little excited about this one because from a personal perspective... This win was huge to me. Me, like a whole bunch of other young Bears fans, has only seen the Packers beat us consistently. I mean, between that Week 17 play with Chris Conti, where the Packers beat us to get to the playoffs, to the 50 Burgers of yore, where they just destroyed us up and down the field, and it was never a contest. I've rarely seen the Bears win a game quite like this one, where from start to finish, they were in it, to win it, it was special to see. Not only that, but we end up getting the North crown because of it. How cool is it? How destiny is it? That Matt Nagy, in his first season, shakes off a week one embarrassing loss to the Packers to end up putting their playoff hopes away while simultaneously securing ours. If I understand correctly, the worst we could do is a four seed, if not a three seed. So we're set. We're ready. We've got home field advantage. That is great coming up for the playoffs. But here's the crazier thing to me. Here's Here's the goofier thing to me, if you will. Let me take you back in time, right? Let's say that it is August of 2018. This season hasn't started yet. We don't know anything about Matt Nagy other than what he said. People are still wary, especially given the whole debacle surrounding the 2017 Chiefs and the play calling and the collapse and everything. You guys have heard that story. So, imagine that you went to me, your resident fortune teller, and I looked in my crystal ball and I told you this. Well, Bears fan, when the Packers and the Bears meet on December 16th, one of them is going to walk away from Soldier Field 10-4 and 4 following phenomenal quarterback play, and the other is going to leave 5-8-1 and 1 with their fans upset and a recent coaching change causing a lack of identity. Wouldn't you think that that worse-off team was going to be the Bears? I mean, think about it. 10-4... and 4, Great quarterback play. This is a story we've heard time and time again over the last couple years with Aaron Rodgers obliterating us. And yet, here we sit. That's us. That's us on top. We're the guys who actually came out right in the end. And the Packers are the ones slinking away. Already eliminated. No January football for them. No more meaningful December football for them, if there ever was any. What a crazy time it is to be a Chicago Bear fan. And I for one am having a ball with it. But anyways, let's get down to the actual nitty-gritty of the game. The first big theme of this Bears win was franchise players. We've all heard the expression before, right? Big players make big plays. Well, that hasn't really held up for the Bears over the years, partially because our best players were also some of our worst offenders of making poor decisions. I can highlight Jay Cutler here. That's an obvious one. But we've got plenty of others, whether it was Kyle Fuller dropping that interception we've mentioned so many times. Brandon Marshall taking weekly flights out of town so that he could go film a TV show and plenty of other players and decisions and things that just haven't gone our way and when they absolutely needed to. And here in this game, we got everything we needed out of our biggest stars. Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd combined for four and a half sacks. Mack in particular seemed to start the game very strong, picking up a sack with his back as well as another sack off of a Roquan Smith pressure. And then Floyd, of course, sealed the game. After whiffing one sack attempt, he came back and stuffed that other one on third, and I think it was 15 or so. I don't know. The point is, Eddie Jackson picked off another pass. We had... Mitch Trubisky playing maybe his best game as a Bear. Jordan Howard continued to contribute. Tariq Cohen made huge plays. I could go through tons and tons and tons of players, but the point is is that everybody that you've ever seen on a Bears poster at this point seemed to make some big play throughout the game. That includes Akeem Hicks, by the way, who had a really sweet pass deflection on third down right around that fourth-quartery area. I'd need to go back and get the specific reference. Big players for the Bears made big plays. We needed it. We will need it going forward. But it's the mark of a good team to show up in a huge game, especially one following the Rams game, where, like I said in last week's podcast, they managed to follow greatness with more greatness. The Packers still got that 17 points that we were expecting them to get, but the important thing to note is that when the Bears absolutely had to in the fourth quarter when they've struggled according to every statistic you've ever seen on Twitter, they arched their backs and locked the Packers out of any meaningful points whatsoever. It was a great defensive showing. As far as breaking down how they did it, I can leave you with one simple tidbit. They got Five sacks and plenty more pressure on top of that. The Eddie Jackson interception, for instance, was caused by late pressure from Khalil Mack, and we forced multiple throwaways from Aaron Rodgers, which was a little uncharacteristic to see, though it's been very characteristic of his 2018 campaign. Ultimately, pressure was the difference, pressure was the key, pressure will remain the key, but it was awesome seeing the Bears come out against a line that wasn't good enough to defend them and just beat them consistently. Moving now to the offensive side of the ball, I found it most impressive that the Bears were able to truly balance their attack, pretty much exactly like we thought they would, really, with a healthy 97 yards on the ground, and more importantly, 29 carries to go with it. The Bears balanced about 100 yards rushing and about 230 yards passing to the tune of 21, actually 24, critical offensive points. Mitchell Trubisky was on Fire! I think it was his best game in terms of what he had to do as a quarterback today. It challenged him so, so, so much more than anything he's ever seen and anything he's ever shown us that he was able to respond to. There were so many plays that I could point to that highlight what I think his day was defined by. But the key thing, the most important thing that he was able to show was elite-level pocket awareness. I know that's going to sound ridiculous, talking about a sophomore quarterback that's had more struggles than he has successes in his two-year career. But seriously, this game in particular, he was on top fire so many so many plays where an edge rusher ran around free or somebody got through the middle and he deftly stepped to the side scanned the field and found a throwing target earlier this year he was finding plenty of rushing lanes and everybody was saying hooray Mitch Trubisky he's able to run for us those are first downs you know but we plenty of times people found their way criticizing him about how ultimately a quarterback's going to need to throw that ball well this time he did that dime he had to Adam Shaheen was a thing of beauty. He had another one early in the game where he slipped away from two rushers, threw it to Jordan Howard, picked up 13 yards, and a third one where while sliding to his left he threw a great ball to Taylor Gabriel who leapt into the air and caught it in his chest for another first down. This was huge. This was big time. You couple that with the dart he threw to Trey Burton in the end zone, and most importantly that short throw to Tariq Cohen that for some reason everybody Wants to call bad. Look, I've watched a lot of sports, and what you'll consistently see is that elite level players want to give their guy a chance to make a play. Whether that's helping them turn their shoulders, you see this in hockey, you see this in lacrosse, any sport in which there's passing involved, when you want someone to go somewhere, you will pass them the ball or puck in that direction Tariq Cohen was at the moment running to his right and Trubisky identified that there was plenty of running room over his other shoulder so what did he do he threw him a ball that Tariq Cohen was going to have to stop and turn over that left shoulder just to catch lo and behold that gave Cohen that one extra step he needs and as you all know one step is all it takes to make the difference between a big tackle for loss and a huge gain in this case Cohen used that exact step to evade the immediate defender race by the second defender and turn it into an electric touchdown seriously it's not all Trubisky obviously it's a great play by Cohen but a throw directly into his hands and I don't think Cohen even thinks to go in that direction with the throw exactly where it was it became a touchdown and that is great quarterbacking now Before we move on to the San Fran game, I do want to offer one word of caution, and that's talking about Eddie Jackson's injury. While offensively you want 11 talented players, you don't necessarily need them. You can have a left guard that isn't all that great. You can have a second tight end that isn't super good. You can have one decent running back and a bad one if you have three great wide receivers. You get the idea. You can make up for weakness by just going away from it. Well, on defense, that's not really the case. You need 11 talented guys because one hole in the armor creates a massive flaw. That's very exploitable by good offenses, especially in the playoffs. And Eddie Jackson, just like we talked about last week, is monumentally important to this Bears defense. So when I saw him go down with that injury, my heart stopped. I was nervous. To hear that it's a sprained ankle makes me feel a lot better because the Bears are going to need him and his crazy range in the playoffs if we want to make a legitimate run for the Super Bowl. And by the way, these Bears can. It's real. Being able to vanquish the Packers the week after taking on the high-flying Rams and completely, I mean, potentially breaking them. Did you see this last week? I don't know. These Bears are for real, but they're going to need all of their pieces. Personally, I hope Nagy gives Jackson both of the next two weeks off. I think Trubisky needs the time. Rust is obviously really bad poor for a player of his inconsistency and if he's going to get into a groove which we need him in a groove come playoffs i think he should play at least pieces of the next two games but jackson take all the time you need bud we need him back for the playoffs he's extremely good very instinctive i don't think he'll miss a beat and if any other players even threaten potential injury i think i think we pull them out of the game and do our best with what we have Thankfully, the only really major injury, aside from Aaron Lynch, but we don't have enough time to address that that we've suffered is this Bryce Callahan loss. And I just want to give an honorable mention of defensive player of the game. He wasn't actually, but honorable mention wise to Sherrick McManus, who balled out today. Two pass defenses that I outright saw and he was all over the field. McManus looks like the slot corner depth that we didn't know we had. We all know if you've been with the Bears for a long time that Sherrick McManus is not a very good outside cornerback. But when you really watch his speed, his ability to track shifty players, like he does on special teams all the time, I think it becomes clear, McManus was built for the slot, and so as far as the one player that we could, surprisingly enough, kind of afford to lose, if McManus can keep playing at this level, he might just be... Bryce Callahan's perfect replacement, so to speak. Again, still a step down. Callahan's been playing at an unbelievable level, especially for a slot cornerback undrafted free agent. But McManus is replacing him enough to keep that 11-man unit strong, and that's what we need out of him. Overall, phenomenal win. Every side did something Uh, Pat O'Donnell went out there and had a bunch of really fantastic punts that pinned him inside the five. Uh, Cohen had maybe his best return of the season, I think his best return of the season, and while the Bears, as usual, continued to make mistakes that threatened to harm the game, they used their talent, their coaching, and a blend of everything else to find a way to win. That's what good teams do. It is fantastic to see what a great time to be a Bears fan. So, With that said, let's go ahead and move on to our game against San Francisco. So now that the Bears have made the playoffs, I'm sure there are some out there wondering, well, what is it going to take to get a first-round bye to get that 2-1 or seed? Why should I care about San Francisco and the Bears game against them? Shouldn't the Bears just rest everybody? Well, okay, so here I am to give you the skinny on what it's going to take for the Bears to get a first-round bye and what it is that you're rooting for. Basically, if the Bears tie the Rams in any fashion, which would mean the Rams losing one of their next two games and the Bears winning out, or the Rams losing both and the Bears only winning one of them, uh, we get their two seed. If everybody wins out, the Bears are at the three seed. Uh, and if the Saints lose two of their three remaining games, yes, the Carolina game is happening right now, we would take their spot. Effectively, the Bears hold all the tie-breaking cards in this NFC playoff race and that's great that said I personally think that the Bears need more experience they need to practice more because they're still under a rookie head coach who needs that little bit of extra practice the whole offense could use that little bit of extra time because we're going to be going up against the big boys the folks that have been around the Saints who are obviously under Sean Payton they've been there for a while the Rams, who are going to want revenge, plenty of other teams that are well-established. I think the Bears need that practice. So, for the virtue of it being a Bears game, let's take a look at what it's going to take to beat these San Francisco 49ers. So, these are two teams with incredibly different fortunes that were kind of in the same place a couple of years ago, as I'm sure plenty of y'all remember. This is the team with GM John Lynch that, quote-unquote, leased the Bears with the Trubisky trade, signed Jimmy Garoppolo, and now both Garoppolo and Bethard are hurt. That's absolutely unfortunate, obviously, but the craziest part is that third string quarterback Nick Mullins has actually played pretty well Boasting about 300 yards a game, Nick Mullins has a quarterback rating of 96 over his six-game career. He's 3 and 3, and he's been certainly the least of the 49ers' issues over their last six games. In fact, if you were going to say there's a problem about Nick Mullins, it's that he's won too much. The team was 1 and 7 before he took over with Bethard, and now they're sitting at 4 and 10, having obviously pushed their draft pick way, way up because of it. But anyways, in terms of us winning a game, Mullins is going to pose a bit of a problem. Again, not some major problem. The Bears have done well against now Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, plenty of very, very, very skilled quarterbacks. But Mullins doesn't seem like he gets particularly phased by pressure. He stands in the pocket well. The 49ers offensive line isn't outright bad. And players like Marquise Goodwin make up with a pretty good wide receiving core. Now, to be clear, the 49ers don't really have a ton of weapons. Certainly not running back, their quarterback is good-ish, and their receivers are fine. But what they do have going for them is George Kittle, former fifth-round pick, is now the third-best receiving tight end in the league. This guy's been going crazy all season long, but his best performance, no doubt, was when the Denver Broncos came into town, and he caught seven balls for 210 yards and a score. George Kittle is a weapon to watch for, and uh, quarterback Nick Mullins certainly knows how to use him. So... I think with Roquan Smith on him, he shouldn't be able to do too much. The Bears have too much talent at linebacker to allow Kittle to have one of these monster games. But I do think a player as good as Kittle is will quote-unquote get his. So I expect him to do at least a little bit of damage. The 49ers have actually gotten all four of their wins. Keep in mind that they're a 4-10 and team at home in Levi Stadium. So if the Bears don't at least come to play in some degree, I think this game's going to look a lot more like the Giants game than you'd expect. Obviously, it's the NFL. You don't want to take any team for granted, but whenever you look and you see on the record that you're playing a team with four wins and 10 losses, a lot of people want to go ahead and bookmark that as an easy win. This is not going to be that. Just as a reminder, this 49ers team just beat the Seattle Seahawks, who have been on fire lately. Seahawks came in and they lost in overtime to this 49er team. They know how to make plays. They're playing hard with Nick Mullins at quarterback. They're certainly a team to watch for. That said, this 49er team absolutely has a weakness and the Bears can definitely exploit it. It's the 49er secondary. This secondary, according to ESPN.com stats, has 34 passes defensed on the year. They also only have two interceptions. To compare that to the Bears, who are leading in both of these categories, the Bears have 82 passes defense and 26 interceptions. San Fran is 32nd in the league in defensive back related statistics, and it's not close. With 30th, being a tie between Detroit and Jacksonville had 42 apiece, each with six and ten interceptions respectively. What you can see from these statistics is that the 49ers defensive backs aren't super good. They're not super around the football, and they don't tend to make a particular amount of plays. I think this works out especially well for the Bears, certainly given that Trubisky just had one of his best games ever as a pro, uh, and that this one has potential to look a lot like Tampa Bay if things should swing entirely in the Bears' direction. Ultimately, I really expect the Bears to bring a pass-heavy attack. I think that they'll run as much as they need to, but that they'll continue to rely on putting the ball in the air to the outside corners and over the top. I think we'll see a lot more aggressive action than we saw against Green Bay, especially aerially, and that we'll see a lot more involvement out of Adam Shaheen, uh, Trey Burton, and hopefully we'll get Anthony Miller back in the game. The Bears wide receivers can be dangerous if they need to be dangerous, and this is a game where we need them to be dangerous, so certainly it'll be a nice proving ground for the receivers and the rest of the passing attack, especially with the playoffs looming. Ultimately, I think that the keys to the game are easy. Beat them through the air and shut down the offense. Now, of course, if you can beat most teams through the air and shut down their offenses, you're going to win a football game, but that's especially true here. The San Fran offense is more middling than it is good, so I think that a defense like Chicago's theoretically should be able to take it away from the game now given that we're on the road I don't think that we'll be able to lock them out but I'm hoping for another 17-ish point game out of our defense if we can do that I think the Bears should be able to win free and clear that said I assume that the Bears are going to have to score 27 or more to win this game it shouldn't be that hard their defense isn't really that good but hey with this Bears offense you really never know I thought we had pretty solid efficiency out of the Bears this week, and they only scored 24 points. So, shoulder shrug, right? Anyways, I think the Bears win this one fairly comfortably. 17-27 is the approximate score that I have in mind, because I'm assuming that this is the best defense that Nick Mullins has yet played, and that this one could shake him up a little bit. Watch for Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller to have themselves a day with Allen Robinson drawing most of the coverage. Call it a gut feeling. That's just what I see coming. Another big day for those two as the Bears win, like I'm hoping, 27-17. to And now with the Bears game previewed, let's go ahead and catch up on everything that happened in the NFL's Week 15. First off, we had a great game Thursday night as the Chargers marched into Kansas City and won 29-28 in a game that reminded the world that having a little bit of experience in your starting quarterback ain't such a bad thing. Phillip Rivers shook off two early interceptions as one of the best and most talented teams in the NFL, the Chargers overcame a big 14 point late deficit to win 29 to 28 on a thrilling two point conversion at the end of the game call it crazy call it brave that's how you win a big big game The Texans then beat the Jets in a pretty straight-up-and-down standard fair event where the Texans, the better team, just dominated the Jets. We'll move on from there because only one team is relevant. Uh, The Browns beat the Broncos in a game where Baker played great. He had another really long throw great to see out of a guy who's got people asking questions about his arm as he's gone and led the Cleveland Browns back to relevancy. Now, relevancy in this case looks like 6-7-1, and one, but hey, you gotta start somewhere. I'll tell you what, I'm really curious to watch this Baker Mayfield because he makes a lot of mistakes and he's also made a lot of great plays. I don't know where he's gonna go. He could be great. He could be poor. We don't know, but he's got his team fired up, and I'll tell you what, he is pretty easy to cheer for. Next up, the Falcons beat the Cardinals convincingly, 14-40 to at home, and we're just gonna move through this game and the Raiders-Bengals game where the Raiders lost 16-30 to because none of those four teams are particularly relevant to the playoff picture, certainly not relevant to the Bears, and it'd be a lot of wasted words over a lot of teams that have, in varying degrees, given up. While those games were going on, the Dolphins lost handily to the Vikings. And I mean handily. We're talking a 17-41 to beatdown that doesn't even really communicate how far away this game felt in real time. They kept showing score updates during the Bears game. Uh, The Dolphins were down at one point, 21 to nothing after the first quarter, which was the biggest deficit ever faced in franchise history, tied for anyways. And the Vikings just never really let it get particularly close. Even when the score was tight, it was within seven at one point, and then they put it well out of reach. This was the Vikings team that we were expecting to see all year. I don't know where they went, After the Bears game, I'm curious to see whether they've truly righted the ship or whether this was another example of Kirk Cousins taking it to a team that is now 500. In one of the more shocking storylines of the day, the Cowboys got shut out in Indianapolis, which reminded us that this Colts team that lost to the Jaguars not so long ago is still for real. And they've got a defense that's good enough to shut down bad offenses, because on their worst days, and especially on the road, let's admit it, that's what the Cowboys are. They scored no points, obviously not good to see if you're a boys fan, but the Colts looked great. I don't think anybody wants to play them in the playoffs, and for good reason great win by the Colts they certainly needed it We'll move through the Buccaneers and the Ravens because the Buccaneers got mathematically eliminated from the playoffs losing 12 to 20 to the Ravens who continue to roll on and roll on and roll on I'm not sure that Lamar Jackson has lost oh no he lost that game against Kansas City but outside of Kansas City Lamar Jackson hasn't lost any games I'm really curious to see how he does in the playoffs because they're headed in that direction. Next up, the Detroit Lions lost 13-14 to the Bills at home and watched their playoff hopes die in the process. As much as I understand that the Lions certainly did their part to lose this game, Matt Prater missing a field goal late, certainly could have been 16-14, I'll tell you what, I continue to be impressed with Josh Allen for as bad, as really, really bad as he was early in the year, he's starting to get that little bit better and better and better. I haven't loved Darnold from what I've seen. Mayfield and Allen have probably impressed me the most, which is very weird because Allen has a horrible completion percentage. But anyways, I'll probably do a special on quarterback sometime in the future. Uh, we'll save it for then. The Bears beat the Packers. Woo! We've covered that. We'll move on from there. The Jaguars beat the Redskins in one of the sadder football games that I've ever watched. Uh, 16-13, to the Cody Kessler-led Jaguars returned a punt for a touchdown and still couldn't muster up enough points to beat a team that signed their quarterback off the street about 11 days prior. I don't know what else to say. I guess kudos to the Redskins for continuing to fight given how many games that they'd lost and the dire situation they're in quarterback-wise, but I don't know. This one's pretty sad, Jacksonville. The Titans beat the Giants I know nothing about this game. 17-0 Titans at New York. Uh, The Giants' playoff hopes are dead now. That's what I know. The better team won, I guess. But I saw this scoreline. I heard it was boring. Uh, We'll move on from there. The Seahawks played the 49ers, and like we touched on during the preview, it was a really tight game in which one of the hottest teams in the NFL, Seattle Seahawks, went to the 49ers and lost in Levi Stadium turning a 3-10 team to a 4-10 and team. We'll see what this means when the Bears come to town, because that's obviously a big test for these Niners, but wow, that's a really good win against the Seahawks. The Steelers then beat the Patriots in a game that reminded us that the Steelers aren't done with this thing just yet. This game honestly felt like it should have had more points given how well the teams were moving the ball, but hey, at the end of the day, the Steelers won. Oh, another tidbit... The Steelers, now third string running back, had a great game. You have to start asking at some point, is Le'Veon Bell the player that we've obviously seen him look like, or are the Steelers just really good at running the football? I don't know. Time will tell. But is Le'Veon worth the price tag? These running backs are certainly making an argument, no. The Eagles then beat the Rams in another jaw dropper that made everybody go, what? What? Uh, Jared Goff looks broken outright after playing the Bears, and the Eagles look like a team on fire. They look like that Super Bowl team. They look scary under, lo and behold, Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. I don't want to play him. I don't think anybody does. If the Bears can find a way to stay out of their way, that would be ideal. And then, finally, in a game that just wrapped up, the Saints beat the Panthers 12-9. to Now, I don't know much about this game, but what I do know is that I saw on Twitter that it is a boring affair in which both teams looked like they were almost trying to lose, or at least not playing well. One notable surprise to me is that the Panthers got early in the game a Christian McCaffrey 50-yard touchdown pass, so they effectively spotted themselves seven free points, and then they held the Saints to 12 points. So you get seven free points to start, you hold the other offense to 12, and you think to yourself, well, gosh, all we've got to do is score five points, and they couldn't. This looks like a team that has now lost six games in a row. They look like they've earned it. I think they're done. I mean, put a fork in them. It's over. And that's our show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, make sure that you like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or whatever it is that you're listening to. Leave a five-star rating. That really helps us, certainly helps me. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at rschmitz 28. That's R-Schmitz28. I'm dropping knowledge out there on twitter and generally interacting in the twitter sphere feel free to let me know what segments you liked what segments you didn't like whether you think it needs to be longer whether you think it needs to be shorter do you like that i'm a solo show that i don't or do you want me to have a co-host i mean anything i'm open to it happy to talk bears talk about this show talk about just about anything in your life so anyways thank y'all so much for listening thank you for bearing with me